Contractors, you need to hear this. In this episode today, we have George Boudreaux, the owner of Pelican Roofing, who has completed over $60 million in construction deals and built a business that has made his local competitors jealous. So if that interests you and you want to learn his best practices, his marketing secrets, and how he's built a thriving business, you're going to want to stay tuned. Hey, and by the way, if you're a growth-minded contractor that likes shortcuts and blueprints, we have a weekly coaching platform where we're going to teach you our secrets that has enabled us to build savage door-to-door salesmen and a recruiting process that enables me to personally recruit anywhere from 10 to 20 new door-to-door canvassers and closers every single month. We also teach you how to win federal contracts. We teach you how to build a business that will thrive without you so you don't have to be working in the business. You get to work on the business. And if that interests you, then go down below in the links and you're gonna see all my trainings that I have available. But regardless, if you're just here for the free information, that's cool too. Stay tuned because this episode is going to rock your world. See you soon. Welcome to the Real Construction Owners Podcast, where we interview real construction owners doing big things to teach you how to go from being a stressed out operator to a thriving business owner. Today, we have a very special guest, George Boudreaux, the owner of Pelican Roofing, who does around $10 million every year in construction. Today, you're gonna learn about processes, his culture, balance with family, and how he designs his dream life. If that interests you, you're gonna wanna pay close attention. Stay tuned. What's up, George? How you doing, brother? I'm great, man. Thank you for having me, Justin. Hey, it's a pleasure to have somebody of your caliber on the show today. You know, before we dive into the goods that contractors are craving to hear, I would like for you to tell us your story. Go back memory lane from the past, how it all got started and where you're at today. And in that, give the, give the listeners a reason why they should listen to you. You have the opportunity to brag a little bit. You know, uh, it, it, I may not, not want to use that time to brag. I think, I think there's probably, you know, if people are going to, going to listen and take something away from this. It's, it's probably of more service that they hear just how not smart I am and how many uh, mess ups I've made. Um, and that's kind of in my story. So uh, I've been in roofing since 2014. I had no prior experience in roofing. Uh, prior to roofing, I was flipping houses. Prior to flipping houses, I spent many years like trying different side hustles. I've kind of always been an entrepreneur. My first kind of business was throwing parties in high school where first week of our senior year, me and my best bud are like, man, we're not going to have a crappy year this year. Like the last class, we didn't throw parties. So we just went out into a field and poured diesel and cleared it out and got a generator and a guy that was a DJ (laughs) threw a party that lasted like an hour and, uh, it got busted, but we were like, man, a lot of people came and it was fun for an hour. Like, so we went to a diner and brainstormed and we ended up throwing parties like a couple times a month through the whole year. We branded them. We had artists making flyers. We had influencers at other high schools that we were like, it was a, it was a big deal. We made money and we partied while we made money because we delegated everything. And that kind of planted a seed for me, you know, that man, I can make money in a fun way too. Like it doesn't have to always suck. Right. And so, um, but I went on, I went on to college, finished in finance, did a few other little things, worked for people. I was a very average employee, very unmotivated and was daydreaming a lot about other opportunities. And over dinner one night with my, my newly married wife's uncle, uh, he said, man, I'll be your bank if you want to flip a house. And uh, I was so fed up with my current job. Like it was a matter of a couple of weeks. I had found a house to move onto another lot that I had under contract, quit my job and just started swinging a hammer, YouTubing my way through the construction to figure it all out and um, messed it up in a big way. Like the, the, I got the house there and then I had to, the city came for the first like inspection and they were like, you're in an easement. 
It's like crap. So I had to pay the house mover to come and pivot the house out of the easement seven grand. Made a lot of mistakes, still turned a profit on the job. And so I was like, I'm going to keep doing this. Then I flipped like four the next year and then like 11 and then brought in a business partner, bought 15 rentals, flipped 15 houses, started wholesaling. And that business grew a lot in a, in a fairly short time and we were doing good. And then I went out to Houston and started flipping there. We had a lot of private money available to us, a couple million dollars, couldn't find enough houses to even invest in. And then- It's a good problem to have. It was, it was, man, it was. And um, everybody else was out there, you know, talking to banks and trying to figure that part out. And we just had a few good friends and family that knew people with money. And, um, but anyway, we went out there, uh, long story short on that as a contractor, left with about 70 grand, hightailed to El Paso. And while we were picking up the pieces, it took forever to find more contractors. Holding costs were incredible. And it would kind of spiral that for me, just down that business spiraled down in a, in a big way. My business partner left to go to law school. There was about half a million dollars in debt by the time all of those flips were done. And it was a nightmare. Painful. And there, there was one of the last ones, it had gotten so bad. One of the last ones we, we had a closing and I had to bring some money to the table. I found out on closing day. It was like three grand or something, but there was nothing left in my account. I had used credit cards to get by. I wasn't paying myself anymore. I was just paying investors to keep good on my promises. And um, I didn't know where I was going to find the three grand that day. And the attorney worked something out with us and gave us like a couple of weeks. But it was a really dark time. And, and my transition into roofing came shortly after that because I needed to find another way to make money, but I still needed to flip some houses or do something to pay off all of the debt to the investors. And so at that time, I was kind of like keeping an eye on the roofing market and saw that it was soft in my hometown. There was one company that seemed to be doing things well. And I, I'd seen the margins from hiring these guys and running the numbers. So I was like, all right, I'm going to give this thing a go. And so uh, really it was one of those deals where it's like, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. I had to figure something out and I just plunged headfirst into it and flipped some houses, started doing repairs and a few re-roofs here and there. And then, and then just grew it fast, got around some good people and fired it up and and the rest is history. That's impressive, man. So you went from just the stress and the darkness of that. I've been through that before and it is horrible whenever you have a monthly note due and you know they can take the asset and you've got investors. I've been through that before and I I, I know it's it's painful just listening to you cuz but from there you get you out of that pain came necessity. And you adapted and you basically figured out a solution, which was the roofing business. Roofing business is a great thing. You can get in and out. You can make yeah. margins, you know, good margins. And, you know, that brings me to processes. Your company's churning around 10 million a year. You're doing, you've done up to $20 million a year. George, I really like for you to talk about that. And before we talk about that, let's talk about your organization chart. You know, you have you, the owner, you probably have an integrator or a general manager. You probably have a production manager and people under him or her uh, operations manager and people under them. And then a growth manager or recruiting and people under them. Can you elaborate on that right there? What I just said and how your business is organized. Yeah. So uh, I'm the CEO and I recently brought in a business partner, sold half of my company and brought in a business partner. I can speak more to that if you're interested, but so him and I are at the top and then um, I've got an office manager who's my sister who started, she was with me on day one and she's got a couple of employees, admin, uh, uh, HR, AR, AP, all of that stuff under her. Uh, she, she's really the glue and extremely important in the company. And then on the sales side, we have a director of sales who is the manager of sales guys in our home market as well. He manages a guy, another sales manager in the Baton Rouge market. 
uh, and he's in charge of all of sales, commercial, residential, everything. And then uh, on the operations side, we used to have a COO and we kind of slimmed down and removed that role, but we've got an operations manager and a production manager now. Um, those guys have various roles within the production department to make sure, you know, jobs are scheduled, materials are ordered, quality is insured, uh, all of that. And then we also have a, we bought, I bought a sheet metal company about two years ago. And, um, and so I've got a guy who runs that and I've got a few guys in the shop in the field who fabricate metal and install awnings and gutters and um, flashings on our roofs and all of that kind of thing. So that's a snapshot. We're about 30 employees, about half of them are in sales, but mainly office operations and sales is how we have it structured. Curious um, about, I'm curious about like the, um, the production side of that, because in growth, there's always two problems. The problems are sales and production getting the sell the stuff sold done and then and or not enough sales yeah. for the production so yeah. walk me through like when a there's something called the seven divisions um i got to interview a guy named jack chan owner of durable slate does a ton of government contracts and yeah. i don't know if you know him but he's heard, just from social media i've seen his stuff incredible yeah. like listen to that podcast you'll learn a lot and he talks about um okay in my business we, you know, we have uh, somebody answer the call, then it gets given to sales. And then from there, it gets given to uh, treasury to make sure that it's a good deal, profitable. Then from there, it's triggered to production. And then in production, you know, they get this, that, and then goes to quality control. And then there's one more level. Well, help us to understand how your structure works when you get the phone call for, and you, you get the lead. What happens next? Yeah, that's so important. And we've gone on quite the journey here, there. We've had quite an evolution. And we recently, that last year, refined that whole process. We call it the customer journey. Um, and so some of this involves, you know, lead intake and marketing, but it, but it goes into production as well. So the, the call comes in or the, 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 the inquiry from the site comes in, the office takes that they have a lead intake form where they're responsible for qualifying the customer, number one, to make sure it's worth our time to go out there because not every job should be a job for us. Um, they find out where, where these people heard about us so that we can track our marketing. And then they get the obvious information they need around the job. And then from there, it's put on the schedule. There's some automated emails that, that go out, warms up the customer a couple of times before the salesperson even arrives. Stuff about our Google reviews and our reputation, some accolades we've received. Salesperson, uh, the customer gets a call the next day um, from the salesperson. I'm in route. And salesperson does all of their stuff. They, they, they do their inspection, which is, there's an SOP for that. They park here, they knock this way, they do this, and then they do that, and then they do this. And then they have to fill out this form to make sure before they leave the house, they have all of the information they need so that, we, so that when it does get handed over to operations, there's not a lot of back and forth, backtracking, et cetera. So uh, they will gather all that information. They go through a sales presentation, the full sales process, document everything, upload it. They send it to the production department at that point and the production manager is going to review everything. Number one, to make sure that we're set up to pull the job off from a quality perspective. We didn't leave out a dead valley that's going to leak if we don't roof it correctly. Or what are we doing with the doghouse in the back? Are we putting shingles on it or not? All of those things. And then there's, there's a checklist the salesperson has to fill out. Otherwise, the job gets kicked back to them. So once that checklist is filled out adequately, the production manager can then approve that job and put it into scheduling. Customer gets notified of the date, the tentative date, which we found is very important and to let them know that it will likely change due to weather or construction delays. Question and, who, and who does that phone call to, to let them know of the delivery day? Uh, the, the production, the production okay. manager. Okay, perfect. And that production manager is the one who reviews everything 
uh, goes over that checklist that the salesperson provided to them. And, and they're the one who contacts the homeowner to verify uh, everything and also go over the date of the build and, and talk about pot potential weather changes. Uh, yes, but man, we're, we're a little robust here and I'm not so sure it's the best and we may refine this, but we have three people that are in that job before it can get marked to approved status, which means it can be scheduled. So we have our operations manager who's looking at it really from more like a roofing perspective, like are we venting the property properly, uh, the, the attic correctly, for instance, or are we flashing this or not flashing this to make sure nothing was left out? The sales manager is looking at it from a margin perspective, cost perspective to make sure that we're going to perform financially well on the job. And then the production manager is making sure that all the right materials were selected so that there's no, there's no problems with putting on the wrong color of shingle, for instance. So we've got three eyes on it, which is a little heavy. And when you get real busy, like if a hurricane comes, man, it gets real taxing. People are stressed because it's, it's robust, but we don't have many mistakes. We have them, but they're just, they're very few. So from there, the production, you, you went through intake, sales, production, you listed out anything, anything else you want to add to production before we move on to um, HR no. or whatever your next step is? No, no. From there, it's going to move uh, into scheduling. The job's going to get done. The production manager is scheduling the materials and the crew and um, salesperson checks in on that job. The day of the job, the job gets completed. Salesperson goes and collects the final check, does a walkthrough with the customer and then sends it over to the office for, um, or I'm sorry, once the job is actually completed, the production manager marks it as completed, which signals the office to invoice the customer salesperson will go and get that final check in person or it gets mailed in. And, uh, and then we do a few more things on the back end in terms of kind of some marketing to try to get referrals. So we have like a gift box where the salesman will bring this to the customer and it's got pencils with our logo and magnets and a, a little Yeti coffee mug, a few other items. And we give that to them and ask for a review as well as referrals in that moment. Kind of law of reciprocation at play here. I'm going to give you something you're much more likely to uh, give us that review, which can be hard to get. I love that. And as far as um, the marketing stuff that you're talking about, do you have a company that, that's local or is this a national company that you pay and order that stuff from? We, uh, in terms of the specialty products, all of that, we, we use some local outfits. Okay. We have two local cool. outfits. They do all of our apparel and, and all of that stuff. Okay. But our marketing is done in-house. We have a guy that's a marketing director and he, he, he does all of our stuff in-house. And um, regarding your, is there anywhere in there that you think in your mind you could improve? Um. To make the customer experience even better or to generate uh, more raving fans or to get the job done faster? Because there's not just roofs, there's screens, there's gutters, there's, unless you're just doing roofs. Uh, we, we, try, we do try to stick to that, but um, I would say uh, accountability around salespeople is where we need more improvement. <laughs> I think that's, that's uh, a problem across the board, my brother. Like I have yeah. that problem as well. Accountability is so important. I'm trying, to figure, I'm trying to figure that out, how to do that as well. It's, it's, it's a tough one and we're navigating it currently uh, as we've changed a lot of processes over the last year and you've and got some older guys that don't want to learn new, new tricks, you know? Yeah. What's your CRM you're using? We use Acculinks. Okay. And who's in charge of your marketing? Do you have it in-house or, or do you yeah. have it outsourced? Yeah, in-house. So we've got an employee. We've been this way for the last three or so years and I love it. It would be very hard for me to go outside of that now. Now, the first few years, the first five years of business or so, we, we had an agency that we hired, but the intimacy of like, I, I, we, we recently built a new facility 
an office and shop and I, I put the marketing guy right next to the, right in between sales and operations. So he's always hearing everything that's going on, which allows us to pivot on a dime. We can uh, cater our marketing this week. Like those agencies will move slower and they never really grasp what we're doing. They just kind of get the bird's eye view of what we're doing. Or this guy's like, he hears about a certain job going on or a certain instance with a customer and he can jump on it, get the video camera out and, and create something. What's the, what's the rocks or the rules of that marketing? I'm sure you've read the book Traction. Are you familiar with EOS? Yeah, yeah. Um, are you familiar with it? Do you implement I haven't it? read Traction. I've read E-Myth and I've heard a lot of people talk about EOS. Yeah. Oh my God. Uh, if, I, if I can impart any wisdom, uh, obviously you're doing great, but if I could just say, dude, get the book traction, study it. Like it's, a I think it's in my audible library. Actually, It's already. one of those books that it's so good that you actually have to buy it and read it. And with a yeah. highlighter and a notepad, because it gives you a system and you're a process guy. You will just geek out on this. Book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I hear you, man. I hear you. Right. I'm okay. writing it down. Okay. Talk to me about, uh, the roles of that marketing person. So they, uh, so, so like, it, like if you were to say, these are the 10 things they must do every quarter, what are those 10 things? Seven well, to 10 things. Well, the first thing is there's a number of leads that he's responsible for bringing in at a certain cost per lead. So for, so for instance, right now we, you know, moving into like, we have some new goals we're trying to hit for February. And by then he's got to get 140 re-roof leads coming in every month. And then he's got his budget which means it's all got to be done at under $250 cost per lead. Okay. A little caveat in there. If someone wants to start checking my math, cause I'm, you know, like we're, we're at about three, three and a half percent of revenue on, on our current spend in marketing. But we, there's some things that are recurring that we don't pay for that are kind of factored into the way we do our numbers, but all the, all the additional leads he's responsible for getting he's tasked with doing that at a max cost of $250 per lead. So we start there with the end in mind. And then, uh, so the way that he's going to get that, it depends on the season, uh, where we're at right now, it's different from where it was a year ago. We've saturated, we feel like Google pay-per-click in one of our markets, but there's opportunities in another one because it's not saturated and we're pressing more on that. So he does all of our paid ad campaigns, uh, pay-per-click uh, type stuff. He does all of our branding stuff on Facebook. We do a lot of that on Facebook. Um, um, let's see, what else? Uh, does he, so do your, he does your video testimonials of customers, video testimonials of reps, videos of builds. He does all that? He does all of that. Does he even, yeah. do, the does he even do the editing? He does. We don't do a whole lot of that. Um, we had a meeting last week and it's one of his initiatives moving forward is a lot more stuff on the site with sales reps and customers, but we haven't done a whole lot of that lately. But uh, but any any photography, uh, video, drone, the drone stuff we do, he does all of that. And he's a nine to five kind of guy? Yep. Perfect. What are the marketing uh, revenue uh, avenues you're using? Google pay-per-click, uh, Facebook ads, what else has been good for you? Yeah, our biggest spend is Google pay-per-click with probably about 35% of our total uh, spend. Uh, Facebook, we've always spent a good bit on Facebook. We spent up to 20 grand a month on Facebook during storms. Um, and it's always been really good in storm environments. Outside of storm environments, we use it for branding per, uh, predominantly. Um, we do a little bit of TV. We spend like 2,500 a month right now in TV. Don't, don't love it, but feel like it kind of works. Just very hard to track. Uh, uh, when you're outside of the storm, what do you, would you say you're spending on that Facebook ads? Uh, it's probably about three grand a month right now, which is, which is like 10%. I got you. Of our total okay. spend. Okay. So TV, I mean, when my uncle back in the day, he would spend money on TV. He did custom uh, additions to homes. Uh -huh. And man, he killed it. He killed really? it. But that was, that was before Facebook, before, you know, Google pay-per-click. And that was the thing to do. 
What yeah. about, do you do any home shows? What are some other marketing strategies you do? I, I, I was like the last guy that ever wanted to network with people. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely an introvert. Like I can turn it on, but I don't enjoy. So one of the greatest parts of owning a business for me was like, I, I know I won't have to network. And then I came to realize over time how important it is and what a great return on time it provides. So I've made myself start doing a lot more of that. Um, so we've started to do more sponsorships and community events. And yesterday we had a brainstorming session, me, Dylan, our marketing guy and our sales manager. And we're looking at buying a sprinter van and converting it into like an ice cream truck of sorts. Like you can use for tailgating. We go into neighborhoods. Like there was a storm a few months ago. We couldn't knock on doors anymore, which is another big driver of leads Why for not? us. Why not? Well, I mean, you you could, but the people were so fed up, it was counterproductive and they were just pissed that you were at their door because you were the 10th one. That yeah, year. yeah. So we were like, what else can we do? So we went, you know, we just, we hired a snow cone guy with a truck outside of the neighborhood. We had a few customers in the neighborhood already. We had them share it on their neighborhood page that we were giving out free snow cones Saturday from three to six. We got into our mascot, whose name is Rufus. He's a pelican and uh, had some signage and, and people came. A lot of people came. I think we signed, we did it twice and we got, we got four roofs definitely out of the deal. And there's several other leads we're still working, but four jobs actually produced. We spent 900 per pop, so 1800 total. So a total cost per customer of 450 bucks. Really better because we'll generate a few more things, I think, from it. Um, nice. Nice. But anyway, so it, it worked so well that um, we're like, man, we need to, you know, implement this into the regular and and just handpick three or four neighborhoods a year and just go hard, like once every quarter, do stuff there. And um, and then we can also use it for, you know, tailgating and other community events. And <laughs> so you're thinking about getting a sprinter van and turning it into like an ice cream stand yeah, or yeah. something? Yeah, I shopped for him yesterday. Yeah, I'm looking for a guy who can cut into one of these things and make a, a window or- I got the it. guy for you. Do you? I have the guy for you. He's Come a, on. I'm in, a, I'm in another mastermind for high net worth individuals, and that is exactly what he does. He builds Come on. that right. kind of stuff. Sweet. So, so I'll hook awesome. you up with that. Uh, All so right. We need to remember to remind me about that. Yep, I got it. Okay, um, so anything else you can add to marketing that you're doing that's unique? That's not the first time I've heard that, that ice cream idea. People say okay. it works. Sweet. Good to hear that. Um, other stuff in marketing, uh, probably one of the best things I think we've done is I overspent on real estate uh, on this new facility that we built. So there's about 35,000 cars a day. I bought a couple acres of land. And we built a 10,000 square foot facility, about half office and half shop, Dang. which for our revenue size, I think most people in finance would say, look, you're a little, you're a little heavy on this line item right here, but man, this 35,000 cars a day. And it's, and it's in an area where there's a lot of 15, 20 year old roofs and, and decent uh, affluence. And so uh, I've got signage and, I've got a marquee sign and we, all of our trucks are at the road and there's 300 feet of frontage. And so I don't think I've seen a lot of the return on that yet. It's been a little less than a year, but we've gotten jobs from it. But I think like over time, over the next five years, I really think that's going to be one of the best things for us. We could land a couple million dollar commercial job from a, a business owner passing by not knowing who to call. And so uh, that's a, that's a big one. And then, you know, there's a secondary benefit to that too, which is, it's just a great environment here. It's a brand new building. It's beautiful. It makes a statement. It's much easier to recruit, uh, employees when a customer comes in that might be unhappy because there was a two nails left in her yard or something, you know, she might kind of ease up a little bit she's like, okay, they, they do have their stuff together. You know, so there's a lot of other benefits that are yeah. intangible. Yeah. Curious about recruiting. What is your uh, process? You hit on that right there. Um, but let's dive deeper in how you do that. So we recruit a little differently for sales. 
than other roles. But yeah, we're, I'm, I'm, I'm looking to dive into sales, recruiting, okay. door-to-door, commission-based people. Okay, so man, a few people shared this tactic with me and it's the best thing that I've learned on this subject. There's a ton of value in this right here. Um, so th the first thing we do is we post an ad on Indeed, but the way that the ad is structured is very different than I always did it in the past. It's really speaking to what this can do for the individual. Like 80% of the ad is about that. It's not what are the requirements, what are the qualifications, all the boring stuff. It's a sell on what working for us and, and working in roofing sales can do for you. But, but the ad uh, doesn't, it's not, hey, you know, apply here and we'll call you for an interview. It's if you're interested, let us know. We're having an event, a hiring event. So they'll, they'll RSVP for that event, which is going to be held on an evening, about a week out or so, 6 p.m. And then there'll be another one the next day at noon. And there's a presentation that's given at this event. And the presentation tells them a little about our company, but it also sells them. And it lets them know, look, if, you, if you're the kind of person that wants to hustle, knock some doors, create a network, uh, you can really change your lifestyle doing this. And, uh, and we weed people out. We, after the presentation is done, which takes 30 minutes, we do fire, a firing round of interviews for anyone that's still interested. I try to discourage anyone who might not fit the bill. Like, this is hard. You're on a roof in an attic. It's hot. It sucks. But if you're still here with me, stay around. And you're doing do this or somebody else? Both. I've done some of them. And then my sales manager will do it. Okay. Yeah. Um, I used to do it. I don't have to anymore, but good for you. Yeah. Still doing it. yeah. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, so we'll do the firing round and anybody that, that we like, um, we'll ask them to come in for a longer interview. And then look, we don't hire someone every time we do it, but I don't think we've had to do it more than twice before we, we do it. And like, we just hired three new guys from one of these events and they're they're in their third week this week with us and they've all three produced contracts already. And they, nice. they, yeah. So good for uh, you. there's some good, there's some great finds. This was, this is not my invention. A buddy of mine in Houston, Joel Patsky with true works roofing told me about it. I tried you'll have it. To, you'll have to introduce me to him. Yeah. And, and it's been highly successful for us. What does training look like day one through 10 days or 15? What, like, how do they, what are they given to be, become a success? There's a manual. It's the, it's the Pelican Roofing Bible. And in there is a bunch of resources from like the, as basic as you can get about what a roof is. Um, there's a bunch of video content from others that we've bought services from around knocking doors. There's, there's our retail presentation, which they have to learn. Uh, before they can get fed any leads, they have to role play and make sure that they're competent in that. So that's like half of it, or I'd say 60, 70% of it is all of that. And then the rest of it is in the field. So we have one, our operations manager takes these guys out onto roof jobs and shows them everything. And there's four of these sessions. And by the fourth one, he's quizzing them on the job. What is that? name this part of the roof for me. What would you do in this instance? And this is, we, this is new for us. We just started doing this and these guys know more than the guys who came in that have been doing this for a year and didn't go through that training, but have just been doing roofing and like, it's, it's phenomenal. Good stuff. Yeah. Curious. I'm curious who writes those estimates. So these new people sales, new sales people's come in. Yeah. And let's say they need a retail estimate. Who writes that? They do. Okay. And they write it and it's a, and the sales manager is going to, uh, in the early phases, the sales manager is going to look over it for them. But within a month or two, the sales manager is not, and it's sent to the production department and the, the operations manager and the production manager will comb through it for, uh, for quality control to make sure it meets margin, to make sure it's got all the flashings, everything, ventilation, all that stuff. Curious, um, walk through that process of how a new salesperson can write an estimate so quickly. It's, it's the two weeks of training. So we're doing it in the training. 
So there's, well, for one, there's templates that are already built and there's checklists that they have to fill out on the job. So whenever they go onto the job, there's a process they have to follow. The, the first thing is they're walking the perimeter and they're documenting certain thing, documenting uh, certain items on the perimeter of the home. Then they're getting on the roof and they have to document certain things on the roof. Then they're going to get in the attic and they do the same thing. So they, they know exactly what to look for, like name all of the penetrations on the roof. Uh, how many layers of shingles are on the roof? What type of ventilation is, is exists and does it pass the, uh, the science test? Is, is there adequate intake and exhaust? So there's a checklist. So they just follow, they follow the steps. And then whenever they get into the office, they have all of their material. And then there's a template that's already built. Within they, your CRM. Within our, our CRM. Like a macro. Uh, they upload a roof report. That's Which roof like, report? Uh, Eagle view. Okay. Is what we're using. And, uh, and then, so that, that community it's integrated with the CRM. And so it populates certain information and then they look at their checklist, their inspection list, and they fill in the, the details on the rest. And they have questions for a lot. I mean, there's guys that are here a year that'll pop in and ask a question about something they hadn't seen, you know? Yeah. Um, I love so that you make your salespeople do that. There's a school of thought that you have like a production manager but that's all they do. Uh, yeah. But you're you're arming them for the battle to be able to be the real deal, which is really smart. That's cool. Yeah. Curious, curious about um, your culture. It sounds like you have a great culture within your organization. What are the key things that you've done to instill that culture? This is this one uh, is one of those I think you kind of grind through inevitably in the early phase. Like you don't you can't just read the book, take the class and implement it. It takes time because, first of all, I think you, you've got to define who you are, which goes back to like your personal philosophy on life that bleeds into the business. And so I took time years back to define like, who, who do I who, who are we? What separates us? What makes us different? How do I want this thing to run? So I, I created these five pillars of Pelican. So we, first of all, is defining it, but to make sure that it's not just the, the framed print on the wall when everyone walks in and it, it's actually, um, it's actionable. Uh, we've got to uh, implement like you have to take the philosophy and the idea and create something out of it so for us what that looks like is for instance we have quarterly we have fun days where we take off 12 o'clock on a friday and we go do a thing it's bowling championship with a flame shirt reward and prizes given out and all of that or um, we do an annual pelican uh, park day where we have competitions who can throw the shingle the farthest and you just uh, three inning rapid kickball games and stuff like that. Always with like a bunch of Pelican swag shirts and everybody loves that stuff. And it's, it's an easy thing to do. Um, but we schedule it. And so we, so that we have to do it. Um, acknowledgement is a real big part of culture for us. And so, you know, we've got like a board in our office that holds like nine clipboards and everyone on our leadership team weekly will nominate someone to be on the board or, or select someone and they'll do a short write-up like really impressed with billy this week because he was super busy but still took time out of his day to go and help somebody on another project that wasn't even his uh whatever the the thing is that aligns with our our values they'll post that and then we put it in our group me channel so we've got group me fun page we, where we just cut up and it it gets a little it gets a little dicey in there sometimes, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah, it does. When, you with, when you're dealing with roofers, you gotta like you, you better <laughs> as the owner, you, yeah, gotta, you gotta you gotta turn a blind eye to that. Oh one. yeah, yeah. I'm gonna put my phone down. I'm gonna pretend I didn't see that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, you're talking about roof salesmen. These guys are tough. <laughs> oh yeah, dude. Oh yeah, they, they like to cut up, man. It's a it's a rowdy bunch. Um, but so so that's that's a real important thing because it's the daily hit. And, you know, they say people don't quit jobs, they quit bosses or managers, the people around them. And so um, keeping that network tight is good. Another big part is like, who, I mean, you have, we have to maintain the, the values in the company by maintaining the right people that are in the company. 
So the way we hire and the way we fire is probably the most instrumental part of that. Like we walked around the office a while back to do like a, a little video for recruiting. And we had, we had our guy just pop in on people randomly, just like open their door. They weren't expecting like, what do you like about Pelican? Just to see what their honest uh, you know, takeaway was. And it was almost all like the people. And so hiring people, I used to hire people based on skill. Now I hire people based on value alignment, then talent, then skill, which is a page from Ray Dalio's book, Principles, um, the successful hedge fund investor. Um, that was mind blowing to me. And when I started doing that, you, you, you have to train more. It's harder early, but you don't have the, ch the same churn. So hiring the right people, but then when someone starts to show themselves as not really being in line with that, they're complaining all the time, they're not helping other people out, they're just looking for ways to not own up to a problem or whatever, like, man, I'm, I'm pretty quick to cut. I like that. I like that a lot. So what is one of your processes you're most proud of within your company? You know... I think um, one, one that we, this is not, I don't know if this qualifies as a process, but it came to mind. It, it was a short-term process around um, a storm environment where we had one, one hurricane hit and then we, everybody was so busy. Salespeople were lit, like telling us, do not put another contract on my desk because we were getting some contract people just walking in like, cause it was so busy, but they got so overwhelmed. They were like, I can't take another lead, nothing. And, and, and then another hurricane is brewing in the Gulf and is about to hit us. Yeah. I'm like, what are we going to do? Like turn off the phones or, or what? So we did a little brainstorming exercise myself and a couple of managers said, what can we do? You know, let's, let's look at it from the end first like is there a way for us to sit on the couch and generate contracts like do nothing this is an exaggeration but we're just trying to throw stuff at the wall and um and so what ended up what we, we ended up coming up with a system to basically get customers to digitally sign contracts and we we did an extra over two million dollars in revenue just that year just on that system so it was it was uh it, it walk us through walk return. us through walk us through that system that process okay so i may be a little rusty it's this is 20 this is summer of 2020 we did this but um hadn't had the opportunity really again all right so um what we were saying is all right people there's such a demand at this time um the normal protocol is they call in you send the guy they inspect, yes, there's damage, help them file the claim, go meet the adjuster, all of this stuff. Instead, we sent out a video. So we had marketing on Facebook that had videos that said, hey, look, we know that the biggest issue for you right now is getting on the schedule of a, of a competent and quality roofing company. Here's how you can do this. Click here, basically. It funneled them into another video that said, uh, here's what we're going to do. If you sign this agreement right now, it doesn't obligate you to use us. But if the insurance company pays for your job, then we're your contractors. Basically a contingency agreement. And if you need a TARP, which most people did at the time, here's a TARP form you can fill out. So we just we made automated forms and um, they were able to just click through this program we set it up on active campaign dude, funnels freaking, freaking genius dude it was great and and uh and so we we never even talked to them dude they would just they would click click fill out electronically sign and provide their credit card information and we weren't sure if anybody was going to even do it because it's not the normal way that you can do business you know they want to trust see the face did all they that did what was the fee like what was the fee for the tarping? I think we started at a thousand dollars and we ended up reducing it to 500, I believe. You just, yeah. You just wanted to get, get some skin in the game where they weren't going to use you. They weren't going to use right. you. Cause that happens. A lot of storm chasers, they, 
do all this work and then they never get paid by the homeowner or the even That's the insurance. Right. Oh yeah, we had plenty of that too. But so yeah, they would they would put the deposit down and then that the office would just dispatch, it would go straight to production and they would dispatch the tarp crews. And then, and once we had the signed agreement and all that, then a salesperson would make the call and say, Hey, look, I'm going to be, I'm going to be your point of contact here. Um, but it just, it took the workload down to almost nothing. And, and so we nicknamed it couch potato contracts. Dude, and, you are on to something like yeah, it was, that right there. You could sell to all them storm, Jason, hurricane, you know, gypsies. Yeah. Uh, you could sell that for like two or three thousand dollars like oh easy by the click of a, a button run some ads for that Count oh yeah I, I gave it thought yeah yeah <laughs> that's genius brother all right so now let's uh so that's your favorite process uh, and you just explained it and you just dropped bombs thank you for that sure, curious man. you said you're good at designing your day your dream life like very intentional on that how are you building your dreams with such um, efficiency in your design? Uh, I think it starts with with awareness, and for some reason, I've I've just gravitated towards people that live a bit of a wild life. Uh, and and when I say wild, I mean it could mean just just off the beaten path. And um, Jesse Itzler, um, I love that. And I'm the same. I'm the same. I'm not one to conform. Yeah. I'm a little contrarian too, you know, like I, I rebel against a lot of, a lot of norms. And, um, so in, in roofing, like for me, when I started the company, as I mentioned earlier, it was out of necessity. Once I was able to, to have some security. And once I came to realize that the only reason I was building and trying to grow this thing massively was like to get the approval of my father and my friends and, and prove something to myself. When I realized that, that that was what was really driving a lot of it, the growth, I was like, okay, that's a little empty for me now. What, what do I really want? What's the next phase? And so for me, you know, life is, life is much more about like freedom. I'm just on the pursuit of freedom. I want to be able to, to do what I want to do with my day, explore whatever idea is on my mind, dive into my curiosities. And, um, and so, you know, Jesse Itzler, like I mentioned, I follow him and, you know, he's, he's once a year, he's doing something crazy and wild and hard. And um, he, Jesse's one that's very acutely aware of his mortality and as, as am I. So it's not lost on me that I could get hit by a bus tomorrow. And so every day, literally a day does not go by where I don't think like that, where I'm like, how would I want this day to look if it were my last? And most days I don't live up to that ideal very well because I'm complaining in my head about something. So you know, I'm not saying I've got it figured out, but I have the idea nailed and I, it's, it's where I'm moving towards. So for me, like I've mentioned, I, I brought in a business partner recently. Well, that's, that's the, the, the catalyst for that was this idea that I'm not enjoying having to look at so many metrics or manage to the degree that I'm currently managing. So, you know, I could continue to keep hundred percent of profits and all of that, or I could find another way so that I could pursue the things that I want to pursue. So a lot yeah, of that. So me, right? I'm, I'm curious, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but you brought in a business partner so you wouldn't have to be the CEO and, and look at all the metrics and, you know, cause that is daunting, like, and having difficult conversations on occasion. What does your business partner do for you? Well, he's training right now, so it's real fresh. Uh, but what he's going to be doing is basically looking at, number one, looking at all the financials, making sure that everything's on track. Secondly, looking at all the, all the other metrics that aren't directly financial, closing percentages, prospecting, uh, you know, lead metrics, um, really just making sure that things are in line. If a quality issue comes up, how do we handle this, this situation? Problem solving. A lot of that. Love that. It's amazing. I, I can the, leave. Replace, the replacement ladder. You're, 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 there's a book called buy back your time that talks about the replacement ladder and such a great book. Highly recommend. It's one of those that you buy the audio and then you're like, damn, this is heavy. I need to actually buy the audio and the book. And mm -hmm. it talks about how we can replace ourselves. We, we always have to be finding 
you know, our job as the CEOs is to actually you finish that sentence and I'll tell you my perspective. What is your job as a CEO? What's your, um, I, I see it as uh, steering the ship and, and, um, and being a visionary uh, for the future, like carving yeah. out the future. And to add to that and is to assemble the, our team of Avengers to run mm. the business, mm. yeah. finding yeah. the best people to run the business. Yeah. 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 I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Curious, if you were to give somebody a tip who's trying to get to your level and they want to impact, they want to leave an impact, they want to leave a legacy, what would you tell that contractor? Impact, if I'm kind of dissecting your question a little bit, impact um, impact can be defined in a few ways. There's, you know, uh, meeting someone at a convenience store and and smiling and that that can leave an impact. But but if we if we're talking about you know impact on a mass scale, then that comes with uh, the, there's more opportunity for that with more influence and more money. And so if the path to that is is success and growing something so that there's enough money to give to other people or influence um, or resources to build water wells and Africa or whatever you want to do, um, then becoming successful in the business can be the path to that. And I think the shortest path to that is to find someone that knows a whole lot more or multiple people and just latch on, pay them money, learn from them, provide value to them, some sort of exchange to try to, because that's, that's the faster way is just finding the, the person who knows how to do it better. Find the mentor and model them. That's the fastest way to get what you want yeah. and leave an impact by doing what the successful people have already done. You got to have the money to be able to leave the impact. And yeah. that's what this is about. It's about being able to create a good life for our friends or for our family, to be able to spend time with our, our friends and to impact our, our team that we get to be at the front of the ship. George Boudreaux, the owner of Pelican Roofing. Today, we discuss processes, culture, uh, how he designs his life, and we went deep into marketing. George, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, how can they reach out to you? Uh, I'm real active on Facebook. So at Roofing CEO on Facebook, they can find me or just search my name and uh, happy to chat on there. I try to get on there and provide as much value as I can. Thanks for being on the Real Construction Owners Podcast. Hey, Take great chat, man. I enjoyed it. All right. Thank you for listening to that episode. Today's guest rocked it, man. He taught y'all some high level practices. He taught you how to build a business that will run without you. And that's important. You know, the thing is you're here and you want to be over here and all you're missing is the knowledge. And we have a blueprint for you where if you want to learn how to win government contracts, you want to learn how to build and recruit door-to-door -door salesmen. You wanna learn how to create a service, operations, and growth department for your organization. Then go down below to the links and check out our offers because we're here to help you. And the members who've joined our mastermind are getting massive results. And if they can do it, so can you. I'll see you on the next episode.